Hi everyone, I'm Leora, and this is Simply Lighthearted Podcast. This is a podcast where we look back so that we can see the ways that God has been faithful and good in the past so that we can move forward with hope. The hope that I have for this podcast is that as we tell these stories, these stories of old from the Bible, and as we dig a little deeper and think a little bit more about the people behind the stories, and we we dig in into what they might feel or think, and give a little bit more flesh and skin and bones to these names, um, that we can recognize ourselves in these stories. It's easy for us to feel removed in a lot of ways from them, and I just, I think that there's so much hope that they offer to us. There's so much that we can relate to because a lot of these people in these stories have ups and downs and things that go all around for them in ways that are very probably very similar to our own lives and things that we can relate to. Today I want to talk about complicated motherhood and we are looking at the story of Moses and the life of Moses and there are four people, four characters, four women that I want to highlight in the story of Moses that have a complicated relationship with motherhood. And this story hits very close to home for me because I have a complicated story with motherhood. Um, I have a marvelous mother. Um, I have a great mother-in-law and I have a lot of people in my life that are mothering and nurturing and I interact with a lot of moms. And so in that way, um, that part of my life feels rather healthy, healthy and good. And I love mothers. I love who they are. The complicated part for me is that the longing of my heart has always been to be a mother. And I've had to wrestle with God for a long time. Um, My husband and I have been married for almost 15 years, and we have longed for children for nearly as long. Um, I thought that my one and only job would only be to be a mom. And when our story started to unfold, and it became clear to me that uh, motherhood may not be a part of my story, at least not in the traditional sense, um, it really caused a lot of pain and agony for me. And through that lens, I want to talk a little bit about motherhood today and how complex it can be. Now, you might be wondering um, about the life of Moses and how this kind of connects into motherhood. Um, Obviously, Moses had a mother. um, And not only did he have one mother, but he had two. And we don't hear a whole lot about them as people, their lives um, or experiences. So some of the things that I'm going to talk about today are speculations, things that um, based on my experience or thoughts around the story, um, I pose as a question to kind of just put in our hearts and minds, maybe a little bit more to the story than what we read from the Bible. In Exodus chapter 1 and 2, we read about the Israelites being slaves in Egypt. They had been, uh, they came there willingly um, and they lived there for almost 400 years. And at some point in that 400 years, um, they became slaves to the Egyptians. They became a strong nation and the Pharaoh, the ruler of the land, was really concerned about how strong and powerful they were getting. Um, So much so that he 
made a horrible, horrible decree. And I, th- I think when we read this story, we, we either gloss over it because we've heard it as children and it's so horrific that we often don't really tell the ins and outs of this part of the story, or, or it just seems so fictional that um, our minds won't even wrap around them. But what Pharaoh commanded was that any woman that had a baby that was a boy at birth, that child was to die. There's so many complexities to this story that it's so hard for me to even know where to begin. The four women that I want to highlight, well, five really, um, all have complicated relationships with motherhood. The first two women that are kind of I'm going to speak about them together because they held a similar role within their community around motherhood was two women whose names were Shifra and Pua. And they were the Hebrew midwives. They were the ones that would help the Hebrew women birth their children. And these women, although I'm not sure exactly what the Bible means when it says that they later received a family um, or were able to have a family, I think it could mean that they um, weren't married and didn't have children or that they were married but didn't have children. Um, It's unclear, but they didn't, for sure, they didn't have children. And so these women were barren. They had no children. And yet their full-time job was going around and helping everyone um, in their community give birth and to welcome new life. And this is a form of mothering that is very special and unique and, and a gift in so many ways. I can imagine for Sifra and Pua that this was also painful, uh, not having children of their own. They were able to help m- people become mothers or parents and be a part of this process, but that wasn't a long-term relationship that they would have. They wouldn't be a part of this child's life growing up. They are part of an important moment in a life, a very important moment, but that's kind of it. And and oftentimes with motherhood, especially for those of us that are mothering outside the traditional sense, that's often the ways that we get to mother. We get to mother in these moments, in these ways that are unique to a time stamp or a circumstance in somebody's life or a season of somebody's life. And it is such a gift to be able to do that type of mothering. And yet, it's also heart-wrenching knowing that our season is short and it, it doesn't always last as long as we hope that it will. This is a complicated relationship with motherhood. And in the story of Moses, which is what we're digging into today, has to do with these women being given instructions from the Pharaoh, um, instructions that they were to to live out, that they were supposed to take forward. They were supposed to, upon birth, while the women were delivering, take a look and see which gender the baby was. And if it was a boy, they were to kill it. And if it was a girl, they were to let it live. Not only do they have a complicated relationship with motherhood, they're now having to decide how to move forward with their life, putting their lives in danger, whether or not they're going to follow through with Pharaoh's commands. Well, when news gets back to Pharaoh that Sifra and Pua are not putting these children to death, he asks them why. And I love their response. They just kind of 
joyfully or I'm not sure, but I can imagine their tone being like, oh, those Hebrew women, they're just, they're just so spry. They've got those hips that just, whoa, babies just pop right out of. You know, I, they tell us they're having a baby thing. And next thing you know, the baby is born before we even get there. Um, and I can just imagine this lighthearted tone of like, oh, Hebrew women and their big hips or something. I'm not sure exactly how they would have phrased it. But either way, um, they were able to get away with not uh, following through on Pharaoh's commands. Um, and because of their faithfulness to God, it says later on that that they were allowed to have their own children. The Bible says that because these midwives, they feared God, he gave them families of their own. Um, So like I said, I'm not sure what that means as far as a a spouse goes. They may have already been married or maybe not. But either way, God gave them a family for their faithfulness to them because they feared God. Well, that wasn't the end to Pharaoh's decree. He was pretty determined to cut down the amount of able-bodied men um, and also just um, wreck the nation as far as um, being in control and just showing who the boss was. So what Pharaoh then commanded was that any Hebrew boy that was born would be thrown into the Nile River. So if an Egyptian saw a baby that was a boy, they had every right to throw him in the river. And I, the Bible does not talk about this um, in length. It doesn't talk about what it would look like for, I don't know if there was thousands or hundreds of babies at born during that time when that decree was out um, and what that would have looked like. Um, I can only imagine how horrific that is. We do not think about some of these instances that happen in the Old Testament in real life scenarios. If this came across our news screen today, let's put it this way. If this came across our news screen today that, you know, we're scrolling along on Facebook and we see an article that talks about a nation oppressing another nation where they forced this nation to throw their baby boys into the river to kill them. That is horrific. And the trauma that could be experienced and was experienced, I'm sure, from that time was is undeniable and just, I can't even wrap my, I'm having a hard time talking about it because I want to get across just how horrible this decree was and how horrible that would have been for all those precious mama's hearts and dads and siblings and aunties and uncles and grandparents for those people to have lived through this trauma. I want to get across to you that it was not some Sunday school story walk in the park kind of deal. This is an awful situation. God uses the situation for his good. He uses it for a lot of things. And the first thing he uses it for is that there is an outcry from the people of Israel. I think there already was based on the fact that they were already slaves and being brutally treated. They were calling out to God um, to rescue them from this situation. But the level of terror and hurt and trauma from this situation upped their cries stirred up in the people of Israel this desire to rebel and desire for God's rescue, their longing for that rescue would become even more intense. 
so very important. And also from this comes the story that we know so well, the story of Moses and his birth and him being in a basket in the river. So that's the second mother I want to talk about today. First, I wanted to talk about uh, Sifra and Pua. And then I also want to talk now about Jochebed, who is Moses' mother. Now, she, I don't know, because the Bible doesn't say, I don't know if she's the only mother that got creative about how to save their baby. There was probably many other women um, that did the same thing. I can't even... I can't imagine any of the mothers willingly giving up their child. Um, And so I I don't imagine that this story is unique just to Jochebed and what she did for Moses. But he's the story we know. And he's the story that we're going to follow. So this mom, she had just given birth, notices obviously that it's a son, and decides that she's going to hide him away. Now, I don't know if she was able to hide him because she kept him clothed all the time and just treated him as a girl because girls were allowed to live as a baby, but boys were not. Um, And so I'm not sure if she just pretended that Uh, Moses was a girl for three months or pretended like she didn't have a child or pretended like she had already thrown her child into the river. Um, Either way, she spent three months hiding her child away from the eyes of the Egyptians. And this mom, I, I can't imagine her heart in this and the fear that she would have for her other children and for herself and for her husband uh, as she tried to make a decision about what was best for her family. Is giving up this one child worth saving the rest of her family for? The decisions that her mama heart had to make. And I, I want to draw kind of a line between this mom and the many moms that need to give up their babies for different reasons. A lot of times from poverty, um, having having too many children and not being able to feed them all. Um, there's so many reasons why a, a mom might give up their child in hopes that their child will have another better life somewhere else. And and that's what I see Jochebed doing here. She She's giving up her baby in a way, the only way that she knows how to. She can't give the baby away to another Hebrew woman because it's a boy and it'll just be killed anyways. And she can't give it to an Egyptian. Same thing. Um, there's so many, there's no out for her. And she, I can't, I, I don't even... I, know what she would be thinking or feeling in this other than pain and agony as she makes a decision about what is she going to do about this baby, this baby that she grew in her room for nine months and, and now needs to give up in a way that is horrific and terrible, knowing, not having a clue what is going to happen for her baby. After three months, Jacobed makes a decision. And she puts Moses, her baby, into a basket that she's made waterproof, that she's done everything in her power, that she knows how to do, how to keep this baby safe. She has no clue where it's going to land. She doesn't know anything about um, whether or not it's going to survive the first 20 minutes in the water, if an animal will come and get it, or or where it will land. She can only hope that maybe it'll go far down the river, away from Egypt, and somebody downriver will find it and save it and and keep Moses. But either way, she has no idea what is going to happen to her son. 
And as she watches Moses drift away, or maybe she didn't, maybe she just turned around and walked back to her house in sobs and and agony as she goes. I, I can't imagine what motherhood felt like for her. For her, motherhood was sacrifice and unknown, not knowing what she should do. What pain she must have felt that day. The third person I want to bring into our view talking about a complicated motherhood is kind of a weird one and might not necessarily be included in this motherhood story. And yet I still see elements of that in in Moses' sister Miriam. Miriam, I I don't know how old she was, um, probably probably younger, maybe 10 or 12, maybe younger than that, I'm not sure. But she chooses to follow along Moses' basket as it goes down the river. I can imagine that Miriam had a connection with this baby in a way that most don't, because she was a part of this secretive plan of keeping Moses safe for all those days. She probably got up in the night with him if he cried or or took the turn of the first thing in the morning so her mom could sleep for a bit, feeding the baby, rocking him, walking with him, making sure he's quiet, being a part of mothering this baby that is unique and a bond between a, a sister and a brother like no other. She has learned about nurturing and loving through watching what her mom has done for Moses in this time. And I can imagine that Miriam was feeling complicated feelings as she's watching this basket float down the river, walking down the river beside it, through the marsh, her feet getting wet and soppy, her arms being scratched by the brush on the side, and yet not once taking her eyes off that basket as it floated down the river. And I can imagine her feeling the fear rising inside of her as she watches Moses' basket drift towards the Egyptian palace, the place where the command had come from for this baby to die. The the execution order on her brother's life had come from this place. Why would God allow for Moses to be living for those three months only to take him down to the river, down and into the palace where he would surely die? Why would he be living in the palace as a Hebrew when the Pharaoh had made that execution order for all Hebrew boy babies? Miriam watches as Moses' basket floats into this quiet, calm area where the princess is bathing. The princess, the the Pharaoh's daughter, is the fourth person in our complicated motherhood story today. So I want to get to her in a minute, but I want to talk about Miriam first and finish out with maybe what was going on for her mothering and loving and caring for her brother. As Miriam watched the Pharaoh's daughter's servants lift the lid on the basket and right away they're going to notice, they're going to recognize who this baby is and why it's in the river. The princess does, of course, notice right away that this must be one of those Hebrew babies that they're trying to save. I don't, maybe there had been others. Baskets or stories of baskets of babies floating down the river. I don't really want to talk about it, but 
I can imagine there weren't just baskets floating up along the river sides. What a horrific, horrific time in Egypt. Miriam watched her brother being pulled out of the water by the Pharaoh's daughter. She, in that moment, gained the courage that she needed to, to look at the Pharaoh's daughter and say to her, Hey, if you want to keep that baby, I know somebody that can help you with that. I'm sure there were a lot of wet nurses within uh, the Hebrew people because one, so many of the the children had died and 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 two, I can imagine that may have been a part of, of jobs of some of the slaves, some of the women in, in Israel, that may have been some of what they did for the people of Egypt. Um, and so the, Miriam was able to offer the services of her mother and I can't imagine the amount of courage that would have taken. The order had come from the palace and here's Moses in the palace. And instead of just letting it be, Miriam gathers the faith and the courage that she has and offers to take care of this baby for the Pharaoh's daughter. She acts out of a heart of motherhood and nurturing and caring for her brother in a way that is so important and valuable. The princess does want that. She wants for someone to take care of this baby while he grows and, and needs a mother's milk and, and being trained and, and dealing with the all nights. And she wants this baby. But I, I honestly, I don't really know why the Pharaoh's daughter decides that she wants to adopt this baby. And I'm uncertain why this baby, but that's what she decided. And so she decided to take Miriam up on the offer. And so Miriam's able to take her baby brother back to her mom, to Jochebed, and he can live there for a little bit longer, being raised in that household, being safe and protected. And I can imagine having special treatment from the palace, maybe food provided for them or, or money or compensation given to them for caring for this, this new prince of Egypt that was to be raised. Can you imagine what that might have felt like for Jochebed, the mother of Moses? And Miriam, I don't know how far away they lived from the palace, but Miriam carrying Moses back to her mother and, and, and Jochebed saying, no, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't bring him back here. I've already given him up. I, I made my choice. I made my decision. And, and Miriam saying, no, mom, mom, you, you have to understand God has done something incredible here. The, the princess, she wants us to raise him as as you're like for now, like give him food and, and care for him while he's still an infant. And then, you know, we can bring him to him later. And she's probably like, you've had too much sun, Miriam. Like, this is crazy talk. I don't, I don't think that this is a good idea. Like put him, I don't know what to do now. Like, I don't know if I can give him up a second time. But Miriam being so convinced that no, this is, this is what we're going to do. What a beautiful moment for Jacobed to have and receive her son back, someone she had thought that she had lost forever. I do want to talk because it bothers me a little bit in this story, how we don't really talk about or acknowledge the hundreds of other mothers that grieved all the way through. 
they didn't get their baby back. I I want us to acknowledge that that Moses was one of probably hundreds of babies that were born, that were killed. But Moses was the only one that lived, the only one that thrived. I think that that's important for us to notice because sometimes when we live our lives, we think when we, we read these stories, we forget that God is at work even in that pain. And those people could not see it. Those mamas that gave up their babies, how would they feel or know that God is at work? And it wasn't going to be for another 40 plus years that they were going to see any sort of freedom from this pain that they felt. And some of them probably never would. That's sometimes the hard parts of these stories is acknowledging all of these things, the ups and the downs and the all arounds, and it's not a tidy bow. We like the story to tell to our kids because it, it's such a beautiful one of the story of Moses, but I do not want us to forget that there were probably hundreds of other mamas out there grieving. And the one triumphant story of Moses is just that. And I think we should celebrate that story. And I want us to talk about that story. But I don't want to lose sight that sometimes there is pain. And that pain is hard. And we don't always get to see the good in that pain. The fourth character I touched on her briefly in the complicated motherhood is the Pharaoh's daughter. I don't know why she decided other than the hand of God. I don't know why she decided when she looked at that baby in the basket that she wanted to adopt a Hebrew baby. Her father had declared this horrific annihilation of Hebrew baby boys and the princess goes exactly against him and adopts an Israelite baby. There's something to be said about the birth mom and the adoptive mom. They both have a very important role to play. And within this story, neither Moses would not have survived without his birth mother, without Miriam, and without the Pharaoh's daughter. And that's often what motherhood is like, isn't it? Where it's not just one person doing the mothering. It's a whole village of people coming together and being a part of a child's story. And that is so true in the story of Moses. And to me, it's so clear the way that God worked through these different women in order to help Moses thrive as a person and helped him to grow, to be the person that God made him to be, to do the job that God had created him for. And the same is true for the littles in our lives, the kiddos that we get to mother. I may not get to mother a child in a way that is traditional in a way that I have a child in my home and I get to go through the stages of life with them. That may never be a part of my story. 
And, and I do want to tell you that mothering from a distance, as much as it is a gift, it is also hard. I see the value and the importance of getting to be a part of a child's story in a way that is outside of their family unit, and yet it still is hard. Mothering at all the different ways and all the different angles is a complicated thing. But somehow in the midst of all these complicated pieces of us, the complicated parts of being a part of a child's life and story. God uses our broken pieces and can build a masterpiece, something beautiful. I think that's my favorite part of my life right now, is getting to watch the kids in my life become people the people that God made them to be. I love getting to be a part of kids' stories. And so if your kiddo is one of my kiddos, ah, thank you for sharing them with me. Thank you for letting me be a part of the mothering of their life. I consider it a gift and a privilege. That's all for our podcast today a little bit of a, a an up and down one and it's been heavy on my heart but I pray that as we look back at this story and and we look at the ways that motherhood has always been complicated that we can move forward with hope knowing that God uses these complicated pieces of our story if we allow him to for his good and for his glory thanks for listening everyone I hope you have a great week.